just kind of dig deeper into, you know, what the Cardinals' uh, developmental system looks like. And, I mean, to be able to kind of, a, oh, almost in a sense, preview of, like, who the future Cardinals are going to be um, and just kind of tell their stories. And Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Joined this week. I'm happy to be joined this week, making his BPIB debut. Are, are you nervous? Is this, is Very it, nervous. Really? No, you shouldn't be. This is great. I'm excited because we've expanded our coverage of the minor leagues. We have a lot of plans to expand baseball coverage, and a big part of that is Daniel Guerrero, who is here with me now for the best podcast in baseball we're also going to run this on his podcast which is the best what did we settle what's the name i think podcast in the minors i i want to say i mean i know that's still uh in we still, still working ha- still hasn't came out yet so, so the best potential podcast podcast in baseball podcast. the the best prospective podcast in baseball we're working on we're workshopping names that's what also i am on a subject line in an email so best podcast in minors i think so wow all right that well this is daniel guerrero he's he's joined the post dispatch he was new on staff during spring training you've read his coverage as it's rolled out he's done some feature stories on some of the cardinal prospects um he has done daily updates which has been a great thing to just add and bring to the coverage and i wanted to bring him on the podcast here so we could have a chance to talk to you not just about you know the minor leagues and how things have started for all the Cardinals four affiliates um, and players down there, but also just to kind of introduce you to the listeners here from Anaheim, right? Yep. So tell me about how you got introduced to baseball, Daniel. What was it that brought you to baseball and maybe captured your imagination? Um, well, first of all, I just wanted to say I'm happy to be here. I mean, happy to um, be on this podcast and to be able to um, help expand the post dispatches baseball coverage to, you know, our subscribers and you know Cardinal fans and readers everywhere. Um, but yeah, my I guess passion or interest in baseball—I don't know how you, how I'd label it—really um, all started when uh, my oldest brother Anthony started playing baseball. And like any little brother, I wanted to do exactly what he did, and he started playing. And the more he played, I mean, when he was, you know, seven, eight years old, the more involved my family got in just being interested in the sport. Mm. And obviously being from Anaheim and the Angels being so close, we naturally became Angel fans. And um, that was a team I grew up watching. Um, players like Darren Erstad and Tim Salmon, um, Benji Molina, who I got to meet the other day, mm-hmm. um, you know, who does a Spanish radio calls with Polo Asensio. Um yeah, I mean, some players like that. I mean, I could kind of go on with naming the Angel players that I grew up watching, um, but I'll save that for another time. And uh, <laughs> um, But, yeah, I mean, and then baseball became our family thing. I mean, like I, I know people say, like, oh, yeah, I mean, you're a big baseball guy. And I'm like, yeah, but, I mean, my family has always been a big baseball family. So I kind of owe it a lot to my, oldest, my older brother, Anthony, and my middle brother, Adrian. I mean, those guys, because they got into it, my parents got into it, and I naturally – started following the sport and baseball has really been the only sport that I've continually followed mm-hmm. um, kind of throughout my life. I mean, aside, I mean, you know, I got into fantasy football when I started playing in a league with my cousins because I didn't want to lose to them. I had, 
you know, to actually pay attention to the NFL. Um, I've always followed, you know, El Tri, so uh, Mexico's na- men's national soccer team. But um, baseball has always been kind of the number one thing in, uh, when it comes to sports and it, honestly in life in general for me. So you grew up an Angels fan. They won a championship in 2002, which would have been just about the time. Where do, you, do you remember much about that or more just people reflecting on the rally monkey and the lackey team and all that? Um, I remember people celebrating in our house. Mm. I don't remember the games. I don't probably didn't really know. What Did you have a David Eckstein jersey? No, I didn't have an Eckstein jersey. Um, my dad had a gloss jersey. I mean, he was oh, Troy, his yeah. MVP. Yeah. Um, and it's funny future Cardinal. Future, exactly, future Cardinal. And I remember even he's. I know he still has it to this day because it's in his closet. Um, I think my brother had a Garrett Anderson jersey oh, nice. um, when he was younger. I mean, that I don't know where, where that ended up now. I kind of hope we hold on to it. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, I was, I think, four at the time of yeah. the, that World Series run. Um, so, I mean, looking back, I mean, now as I'm older and seeing kind of like, you know, how that team was built and how they made that run and kind of the – kind of the imprint it left on the city and mm. the fan base. I mean, the Rally Monkey still lives on to this day. Yeah. Um, I remember last year I got to cover opening day when I was working with MLB.com, and there was a WandaVision-themed Rally Monkey video. Really? Um, which I thought was pretty cool because, I mean, it, it's funny because um, there's kind of like a running joke between like some Angel fans where it's like, I kind of hope I don't see the Rally Monkey tonight because that means the team is down. Right, um, right. But it's kind of cool to see something that, you know, kind of – just sparked up during that playoff run still live on to this day and kind of um, turn into a thing of its own and be updated with, you know, what pop culture is right now. You're the person, you're the perfect person for me to ask this of then because, because uh, you grew up with the angels and that was kind of the, that was your first favorite team. And that those were the games that you saw. Um, can you explain the DH to me? I mean, I, this new thing that the Cardinals have, a DH, and apparently a former Angel is now their DH. Um, can you can walk me through how this works? So there's this thing in the American League that I grew up with where the pitcher who normally would bat eighth in the Cardinals lineup um, does not hit what? for your team. He doesn't. Yeah, no. unless his name is Shohei Otani, which means he will still hit. Yeah, but- the world is upside down because... Sh- an angel is now a pitcher who hits, and the Angels' DH is now back with the Cardinals and is a DH. So it's all backwards, right? Uh, the American League is the National League. The National League is the American League. Cats and dogs living together. It's just all crazy. Oh, yeah. It's all topsy-turvy. Yeah. So Okay, so back to the DH. Now, how does this work? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, your pitcher is not going to hit. So when Adam Wainwright takes the bump, he's not going to um, – you know, be in the starting lineup as a hitter. Wow. Um, you'll have a guy who played for the Angels um, and signed with them in 2012 by the name of Albert Pujols. I'm not sure if Cardinal fans are too familiar with him. I think, I think they know his something of his work, yes. Okay, I mean, I, I kind of hope so. I mean, he's hit yeah. a lot of homers yeah. throughout his career. I think he yeah. played for the Cardinals for a while. Did. He hit 445. Oh, I'm sorry. Now 446 home runs. For the Cardinals. And obviously we're joking. I mean, <laughs> I, I think people got it. <laughs> I, just wanted, I didn't want people to think like, hey, this guy doesn't know who Albert is. <laughs> yeah. what, so what was that like? You were at spring training mm-hmm. when that news broke. You have the Angels connection. I mean, you were a fan of the Angels when they signed Pools. So let's start there. 
What was that like when Albert Pujols leaves the Cardinals to come play in your backyard? Um, I remember that day vividly. I was, okay, maybe not that vividly. I was a freshman. In high, yes, I was a freshman in high school. It was a December morning because I know it was around that time of the winter meetings. And and you were queued into the Rule 5 draft. And you were like, what is going to happen in the Rule 5 draft? I'm waking up early to find out about the Rule 5 draft. And? And, uh, you know, obviously the news breaks that Albert Pujols is signing this 10-year deal with the Angels. And um, this is before, you know, I had a smartphone or a lot of people had smartphones at least in high school i mean with you know kind of uh within like my friend group and mm-hmm. um all that so i mean watching mlb network i see the news and i remember calling my dad and talking about like hey did you see we got albert i mean because we thought like hey i mean this guy's a future hall of famer mm-hmm. um three-time mvp helped lead the cardinals to a couple of world series and you know it's like hey this is albert Pujols. like this is probably one of the greatest players to ever play like in my generation, I mean, this is a guy, I mean, he's a guy, I mean, I know a lot of uh, older baseball fans kind of look at baseball cards of like, I had this guy's card growing up. I mean, a lot of fans in my generation are like, hey, I played this guy in this video game yeah, growing up. Great point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my brothers and I were excited. Remember, we, um, I showed up to school and I remember uh, one of the first people that I saw was one of the baseball coaches at my high school and literally the first thing it's like hey did you see that like hey did you see albert's mm-hmm. coming to anaheim and that's all everybody was talking about just albert pools is here i remember we kept um literally leading up to opening day we we had tickets opening day i mean that was kind of a family tradition with me and my cousins and some of my uh, my theos my uncles um um and uh we kept saying like hey like you know it'd be crazy if he hits a home run you know in his first at bat mm-hmm. um little did we know it kind of took a while but i mean um before he he did that but i mean it was still like hey this is albert pujols i mean this guy yeah. is one of the most dominant hitters to play the game um so i mean yeah seeing albert go to anaheim as a fan was pretty exciting um and now being on the reporting the reporting side of thing i mean i know i mean i was i'm the minor league guy so i mean the the pros like derek and benford and commish yeah. were handling you know we're lifting, lifting the heavy load with that and kind of seeing everything from this angle and this perspective to see him come back and see how much he means to not just this organization, but this city has been something um, I had, you know, you hear about because you hear how much, mm-hmm. how much he means to St. Louis. And, um, but to actually witness it and see the press conference and, um, see the fan reception on opening day, and then yesterday when he hits hit his first home run since mm-hmm. uh, he left. Right, three thousand eight hundred and fifty five days ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, just seeing that makes it makes it all more like surreal. Like, wow, this is kind of you know who how you know how how much they care. I, I'm glad I got a chance to ask you that because you know I, I think a lot of people who listen to this know what he means to St. Louis and are aware of what the reunion means. But haven't had a whole lot of chance to ask people what he meant to Anaheim, especially to like a young fan who is having you know the the best right-handed hitter in the game mm-hmm. come to his team. And the way you describe it, it sounds like there was like kind of an electricity in the air 
um, around the angels that maybe wasn't there the previous year or that there was this like maybe maybe in a way Pujols was a prelude to what it was like to have a great player like Mike Trout on your team, right? I mean, it was that kind of thing. There was an excitement to it. Oh, yeah, definitely, because at that time, so it's so Pujols signs in uh, 2012, mm-hmm. and the Angels had not been to the playoffs since 2009, and they got to the ALCS and lost to the Yankees in six games. And in that three-year span, I mean, they didn't they didn't have a whole lot. They didn't. I don't. I don't think they made the playoffs in that span. Um, Vladdy Guerrero, Vladimir Guerrero had already retired, and mm-hmm. he was, you know, another one of the greatest players to right, uh, great point play yeah. to play for the Angels. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer and went in as an Angel. So there wasn't like this marquee superstar at the time, and the Angels get Albert Pujols, and then at that same time, Mark Trumbo um, was he had came up that that same year and you know had been hitting kind of the cover off the ball um as as a um as kind of a dh and he kind of played the corner outfields a little bit before albert kind of took over at first and then all of a sudden mike trout makes his debut and it's not i mean it, it was just one of those things where it's like you already had this guy who was a three-time mvp yeah. and you have this other guy who debuted and also has become a three-time mvp that's it's the timing of it is really cool and the, the perspective of it is is fantastic I, I hadn't i hadn't thought like when we started this conversation i was like oh wait like in the middle of it, i was like all right cool i get to ask about what it was like to live in anaheim at that time well now fast forward um you were there that that night that the news broke you know when we first kind of were on the phone constantly mm-hmm. trying to figure out if it was going to happen and then reporting that it actually did happen um and you know it, what was your sense that night? I mean, you mentioned that the press conference kind of put it in perspective, but did you have a, like, as you heard us talking and saw what we were trying to do, did, is that when it started, like, to think, like, okay, this, like, pools is a big deal in St. Louis? Definitely. I mean, I, like, I, I mean, I had gotten that sense, like, yeah, yeah, I mean, everybody loves Albert, but then when I saw just kind of, I'm literally when the news broke yeah. and how, um, that news dominated kind of the baseball Twitter world. Mm. Um, I obviously knew, I mean, wherever Albert was going to go, it was going to be a big topic. But to see him come back after he left to Anaheim and he's here again, I mean, it just made it, like it just, I mean, seeing kind of that reaction online and seeing just how much people were talking about it. And then obviously the next day and as the lead up to opening day, I mean, that that night felt like a prelude to wow, like this is gonna be. I mean, some this is gonna be like a special return. Yeah. Well, we'll 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 go from there. From the new designated hitter, you called it designated hitter. Okay, so from the designated hitter in the Cardinals lineup to the backfields, which is where you got to spend a lot of time in uh, in spring training. What were some of the you've, you've written about some of the players, um, but. Who stood out to you back there? What were some of the things that you got to see on the backfields as they were playing games, as they were going through drills that stood out to you? Um, when it comes to what stood out, it's definitely a lot of the guys that you didn't see in the Grapefruit League. I know we mm. got to see Juan Yepes, uh take some at-bats with the, in big league camp. Same thing with Nolan Gorman and um, Alec Burleson. So on the backfields, I mean, it was a lot of guys who were just drafted, you know, in the last couple of years, or maybe were just international signings over the mm-hmm. either this last period or the period before. So I mean, 
there were guys like uh, Joshua Baez who was uh, described to me as loaded with tools, and you could see that. I mean, he hits with power, has a strong arm, plays center field, um, getting better at running the bases. I mean, guys like him, guys like Mason Wynn, who is in high Peoria right now, who, you know, has just probably, I mean, might be one of the fastest guys in the organization with just how he runs the bases. Mm-hmm. And have, and like throw the hardest. Throws hard. I mean, <laughs> yeah. play shortstop and like uh, Derek has in his uh, scouting report, I mean, his uh, minor league evaluations ranking the PD-12 yeah. where Mason Wynn could, you know, has has an arm strong enough to, to be on the mound and kind of blow fastball by some guys. Yeah. Um, and then, um, I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot of talent like that. I mean, other guys like Michael McGreevy, I mean, was out mm. on the backfields. I mean, I saw him pitch to Jorge Soler and strike him out, which really, which was interesting because it's like, I mean, this is the Cardinals' first round pick from last year, and yeah. Soler had just signed with Miami and you know was just getting some at bats back there and kind of seeing that, you know, was something. Obviously, it's something you don't really see or you or you might not I mean see until McGreevy, you know, if he makes. I mean, once he eventually gets uh, to that level. Um, but to see it, you know, the guy who pitched for UC Santa Barbara last year was a first-round pick, is now pitching to a guy who was the World Series MVP. Right, that. great point. Yeah. What? And you wrote about Gordon Graceffo, yes, right, who wowed a lot of people with the new velocity that he showed without sacrificing any of the command. Really, what did you learn about his his? work that he put in and what was kind of the buzz around him on the backfields yeah and when derek says the buzz about graceffo i mean it was literally i mean i the first time i saw him pitch yeah um i was sitting behind home plate and the kind of the bleachers they have there with the other pitchers the cardinals minor league pitchers who are tracking pitches and doing the scorebook and sitting there and you i mean obviously you can tell like hey this guy is just throwing heat mm-hmm. and you hear the guys calling out how fast it is on the gun you hear 98 99 100 and all the guys kind of there were like marveling over like wow like this guy's just nasty he's just filthy yeah i mean he was doing that he was using his breaking uh his breaking balls just to make hitters look silly um i remember he threw a change up kind of like inside really um like yeah like kind of like uh like on the inside part of the plate, I mean, just placed it there. I mean, what, like to what side hitter? Right. Uh, to a right-handed hitter. Wow! And even one of the guys who was tracking pitches, like, wow, like you don't. He's like, you, he's like, you can't touch that. I mean, especially with how fast he's throwing. And um, like Derek said, I mean, he wasn't a guy who was hitting a hundred a year ago. I mean, he came out of Villanova and he was a fifth-round pick of the twenty twenty-one draft. And from I mean, once I saw that, I knew, like, hey, this guy is, seems like a very interesting guy mm-hmm. to talk to. I mean, to learn about, you know, um, kind of his work and who he is. And, I mean, from what he told me, in the offseason, he tra- did uh, uh, trained at uh, this uh, kind of like a driveline type place. I mean, mm-hmm. Annex Sports uh, Complex in New Jersey, which mm-hmm. is his home state. And he spent the offseason there. I mean, he said that there were other minor leaguers there. He said... Um, minor, minor leaguers from different organizations. He said Jack Leiter. I mean, Rangers oh, wow. pitching prospect yeah. was a guy who, who was also there. And he said that. I mean, that's where he spent his off season to increase his velocity and uh, increase uh, kind of his flexibility and athleticism. And the results are kind of in. I mean, he wowed a lot of people in camp. He was labeled kind of the camp, the sensation of minor league camp. Uh, we got to see him also pitch against uh, some major league players. Mm-hmm. 
um, in, a, in a backfield game. The middle of the Cardinals order. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he faced Albert. He faced Tyler O'Neill. I think Albert hit a single up, like like nutmegged him. I think, yeah, yeah right. And then the single went right between Graceffo's yeah. legs. That was something. Um, but it was. But he over. He when he elevated, he was able to really kind of challenge some of those hitters with his fastball. Yeah, and then like you said, I mean, he doesn't just throw a hundred. I know people kind of get lost in like, oh my gosh, this guy. Yeah. You know, he throws gas. But like, can he command it? And it's like. Yeah, and that's he, why he was there. Yeah, that's yeah. why he was there. And then yeah. we actually even uh, saw that in his first outing this year with Peoria. He threw five, really? uh, five innings, uh, shutout innings, six strikeouts, didn't walk a single guy. That's remarkable. So he's so he's in the rotation at Peoria. What are some other early performances that stood out to you? As so, Memphis got going a few days early. Mm-hmm. Then the other teams all started. Memphis is playing an expanded schedule. The AAA schedule has been is longer than previous years. That's in part because uh, September call ups are not as big. Um, there aren't as numerous, so they wanted to continue playing, keep those players available in case there's injuries um, at the major league level, but also, yes, sell tickets and make money and all that stuff. Um, that's also part of this. Mm-hmm. What are some other early performances that have stood out to you? Um, Nolan Gorman got a couple home runs in a game and had a strong weekend. Uh, well, what can you tell about what he's doing so far? Yeah, I mean, Nolan Gorman, he actually went hitless in his first couple games, but, I mean, like you said, he hit two homers uh, over the weekend in the same game. And uh, he's a guy who I know might not have had the flashiest of springs, but you can tell he's kind of starting to to ramp it up and be the guy who he was last year. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know he set a single season career high of homers in in a single season for himself. And you can kind of see that kind of going back to what what he was a year ago. couple of other guys that stand out i mean early in the season i mean alec burleson he's five for 19 he's hit a couple of homers driven in four runs in uh his first few games with memphis uh, brendan donovan i know he was one of the last cuts of spring yeah. right left-handed hitting infielder yeah uh, left uh, utility guy i mean i know he's made some uh has played in the outfield great point across yeah. his minor league career and he's eight for 21 he's uh, also driven in a couple runs he's walked a few times uh I mean, the, I mean, these are guys who are just, I mean, you know, guys who kind of are, are like on on that on that brink. I mean, mm-hmm. who, you know, who are those guys who you know could see time in the big league soon? And I mean, they're those those are guys who are off to pretty hot starts, at least in Memphis. What and Yepes has done has driven in runs, right? How's Juan Yepes doing in the minors? Um, same thing. I mean, with like Gorman, he went hitless in his first couple games, but. Um, he's driven in six runs in his uh, last two games. He, I know he's homered. He's and he got a hold of that homer too. He put it past really? the, the Memphis bullpen. Um, oh, at AutoZone Park is that yeah. where it was? Wow. Yeah, and um, he's also a guy you can kind of see he's finding kind of that swing. I mean, who also had a powerful 2021, and he's kind of coming back into that form. How did Libertor do? He's had two starts for Memphis because of the way their season, because of how early their season started. He was not their opening day starter. Um, I think he had game two and then back around. How's Matthew Libertor done? He's the lefty that the Cardinals got from the Tampa Bay Rays, um, is considered one of the top pitching prospects in the minor leagues, and is the Cardinals' top pitching prospect. Yeah, I mean, his first outing, he only had a, a he only pitched three and two thirds and he gave it four runs. All of them were earned. Um, but he also pitched, I mean, today's, uh, he pitched uh, 
last night, so on uh, Tuesday, I mean, at the time that we're recording this, and I'm mm-hmm. um, here in his first one of the season. I don't know, I mean, how much people still value pitching wins. He's got to pitch uh, five innings to qualify, so, so that kind of, ma- I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's a narrative stat, not a predictive stat, but when we talk about wins for minor leaguers, it does tell you they went at least five innings, yeah. which is something these yeah. days. And, and that's what he did. I mean, he threw five innings, gave up two runs, six strikes, struck out six. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, he uh, had, you know, a quality start. I mean, and I mean, obviously good to get get that second start out of the way to, to have that type of outing. From what you saw and from what these early performances are, and they're just early performances, and from the folks you talk to and kind of being around spring, do you have a sense of how these players might contribute to the majors? Do you get that sense? Did you you kind of pick up on either where they're playing, how they're playing, how much they're playing, how they're performing at their level, like how they might contribute at the major league level? Um, yeah, I mean, there's uh, some guys who you get that sense. I mean, actually, Alec Burleson was one of them who um, I actually asked uh, manager Oliver, Oliver Marmol about, and he said that I mean Burleson's a guy who has a big league at bat. He's like pro. He said, I mean, he said they're pro at bats that he has every time mm-hmm. he goes up there. Um, so I mean, yeah, they're um, that's that's one of them that especially comes to mind of you know who who's kind of viewed as being you know ready for for an opportunity if that if that opportunity comes up that's cool and what are some some lower you talked about memphis what are some performances at the lower levels um you know you got springfield double a palm beach now is low a just to remind people they've, they've switched affiliations so the peoria is now the high a so the ladder for cardinal prospects climbing to the majors now goes palm beach peoria springfield memphis um, in Jupiter right now, that means there are there's one full season affiliate, the Low A Palm Beach Cardinals, and then there's extended spring training, which is where some of like like one uh, uh, Bin Cho is mm-hmm. at extended spring training. I think there's some other um, players of note who are in extended spring who aren't playing full seasons, but that's okay. That's that that's where they are with their development. Um, what were some of the performances at the lower level? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to, I mean, past Memphis, one of the guys that obviously sticks out is Jordan Walker, who at 19 years old is already playing in double-A, which, I mean, is huge for that for that stage in his development yeah um he's uh yeah i mean he's he's been productive at the plate he uh drove in uh six six runs in these five games that he's played i mean he's walked six times which i mean i mean you see somebody with kind of the vision and kind of the plate discipline to walk that many times at that age makes you wonder if they're pitching around him a little bit too but you know the level maybe they can't quite command the short spring so you want to watch how that develops but you do kind of wonder if they're pitching around him and it'll be interesting to watch what the Cardinals do then if if Jordan Walker stands out in that lineup and isn't getting pitches to hit what what will they do with the lineup to assure that he gets the pitches he needs to develop and you know that that'll be something to watch because they can't have a young player who needs at bats needs swings needs to see strikes to do that they can't have him just erased from the lineup, they'll have to put somebody there to to protect them. That'll be really interesting to see how that develops. If that if that comes from a promotion, if that comes from signing somebody, you know, like a like a minor league free agent who has a little bit more of a reputation, it'll just be it'll really. I'm really eager to watch how that develops because if opponents avoid him, that's not really the best for his development. 
Yeah. Um, and like you said, I mean, it can be a situational thing where, I mean, I know he's batted third and third in the lineup and he's hit, you know, second in the lineup, mm-hmm. I mean, which makes sense to move him up higher in the order. So that way, you know, he gets more at bats and, you know, maybe they don't pitch around him. I remember last year, uh, kind of, a covering the angels and covering, uh, different teams with MLB.com, uh, and seeing the Angels a lot. I mean, Shohei Otani was in that predicament where yeah. he was on a tear. Teams started pitching around him, and then Joe Madden said, well, you know, we're just going to bat him leadoff because you're not just going to put a leadoff hitter on. Right, so, right. I mean, I mean to, to kind of uh, give Jordan Walker more at, more at bats to actually right. swing at and uh, not, you know, just be pitched around to. I mean, it's definitely something that to watch or that we should be watching, or I should be watching. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll be watching. <laughs> And you know that that I mean, if that if that's the case, I mean, just to see how the, the organization ha- handles that to make sure, you know, he's getting, you know, at bats that he's actually going to that are competitive and that teams aren't just going to be putting him on. How's Mason Wynn doing? Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn are close. They've mm-hmm. become friends through this since they were in the same draft class. Um, Mason Wynn, he recognized. I had a chance to talk with him during spring. He recognizes that you know the bat is going to have to carry him because the arm is a real skill. Um, the arm is a real standout tool, as they say. But if he's going to stick at shortstop, and they're going to give him every opportunity to stick at shortstop, the bat is going to have to advance with him. Um, he's at Peoria, right? He, um, how's he done? Um, yeah, I mean, Mason Wynn, he's same thing. I mean, he's uh, in his first three games, he went four for 10. I mean, he stole a couple of bases. Mm. Um, so, I mean, obviously, he's. When he, like, he had on, 30 steals last yeah, year. I mean, so when he's getting on, he's using, I mean, his speed and his ability to, you know, to move on, I mean, to, you know, steal. I mean, like I said, yeah, his yeah. ability to steal bases. I mean, yeah. so he's he's also, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, he's uh, having so far, I mean, a productive first few games of the, of the season. We have been at STL Pinch Hits, which is where a lot of the work that Daniel does will be found at STL Pinch Hits. There's a website. There's an app. It launched all this past week. It's a big deal for us, um, and it's going to be kind of the centerpiece of our expanded baseball coverage. One of the parts of the launch was doing something that we're now going to do annually, which is rank the top 12 prospects in the Cardinals organization. The twist for us, as opposed to the top 30 prospects and everything, is not just that we picked 12, um, a dozen, the post-dispatch a dozen. See what I did there? A little mm. little alliteration, right? Do you approve? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I kind of had to come up with it on a whim. But the twist is that they haven't been in the majors. So mm-hmm. while other prospect rankings go with prospects who are all rookie eligible, for us, it's if they've had a day in the majors – you know, they, they've graduated from our prospects list. This is all going to be prospects who have yet to reach the majors. So you wouldn't have seen um, some of the rookies' eligibility uh, um, appear. So it's counting down from 12 to 1. Um, as we're recording this, number 4 is about to go um, live on the site. And number 4 is probably the one that I uh, ranked most aggressively. And so I wanted to get your thoughts as I as I go through them here. And as someone we've already talked about, and I can explain why I ranked him fourth. So number 12, Brendan Donovan, one of the last cuts of spring, and a guy who you just detailed has done well. Um, and it was really like he's on the brink of the um, – on the majors and, and you kind of keep in track too of how many different positions he plays in memphis right like where he is in the field because that's that's part of how their t 
teaching or working with him on versatility, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, obviously, I mean, being able to be like a super utility guy is valuable to any team. I mean, uh, when I mean, especially like in with the current state of MLB, I mean, where you guys or you know guys have days off. Yeah. I mean, and you know, guys need to rest. And if you have somebody who, I mean, the comparison I always draw is like Chris Taylor, or Kike Hernandez who plays infield and plays outfield and can just kind of be spotted all over the place. I mean, that's valuable to any organization. Then you have number 11, or I guess then I have, I don't know how to say this, but then uh, we rank number 11 is Malcolm Nunez, third baseman. Um, Have you seen how he's done so far to start this season? A guy who probably gets overlooked a little bit, but shouldn't because of his age and his production. He's a young man who won the triple crown in the Dominican summer league multiple years ago has gotten to double a and has done all right there. Um, but he's still really young for that level. He's not Jordan Walker young, but he's significantly younger than the average age of that level. I mean, yeah, I mean, Ma- uh, Malcolm Nunez, he's only 21 years old right now. And uh, in his first few games, I mean, he's four for 13. He's also another guy who's been walked a lot. He has six walks. Jeez. Um, he's had a couple of doubles. And um, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, he, it's it's early in the season. Obviously, it's only a very small sample size. But, I mean, he's off to, I mean, a good start for somebody who's 21 in double A. Yeah, absolutely. And and he's playing, you know, multiple positions. He played the corner infield spots. Yeah. Um, he might uh, ultimately be part of the DH conversation. Um, we'll see how that goes. But he he's a prospect not to overlook. Either there's something that happens called prospect fatigue. And maybe the best example of it currently is Edmondo Sosa, you know, a guy who signs as ranked as a prospect, ranked as a prospect, ranked as a prospect. And then what you find is the closer he gets to the majors and actually being in the majors is the lower he gets until he vanishes from the prospect ranking. Mm-hmm. It's kind of misleading. It's just because sometimes guys sign at 16, 17, and, you know, the teams dream on or rankings dream on these players um, because they haven't failed yet. And then they accumulate failure because that's how the game goes. And so they lower and lower and lower and they're replaced by the next new draft pick, the next new shiny prospect, the next toolsy guy on the prospect rankings. And all the while, they really haven't changed. Their trajectory to the majors is the same. They just are taking longer than maybe fans or people think because they're so young and they're prominent in the rankings so early in their in their youth that we just kind of get what I call prospect fatigue like oh uh, you know would would you want to see 6 years of Edmondo Sosa being ranked in the top 10 of the Cardinals prospect and not and not have him reach the majors well no you probably wouldn't see that but that would have been correct mm-hmm. you know would have been right to do that because now he is in the majors and now he is contributing and he is a standout defensive player and he's come around as a hitter. Um, he has a lot of the things that you expect from a prospect. And the only thing that was really not keeping him constantly in those rankings, which is where he should have been as prospect fatigue. Well, this guy's been here forever. Why isn't he in the majors yet? And I wonder, you know, that's my cautionary note on Nunez is, you know, he's been around a long time, produced a lot, so don't lose sight of him on the uh, on the prospect rankings. And he was number 11. Then you go to the top 10. Number 10 was Alec Burleson, who you've already mentioned, strong start. Played at three different levels last year. Mm-hmm. Um, 
fresh out of college, uh, was a two-way player in college, very fascinating because they thought, you know, if he just focused on hitting, what kind of hitter he could be. We have an answer to that. Number nine is Joshua Baez. You mentioned him. You had a chance to talk with him. Um, and I found it interesting he play in center field. That That's kind of a defensive um, challenge for him because he's mostly viewed as a right fielder. Yeah, I mean, he has the arm definitely to be a right fielder. I mean, I saw him make a couple plays out in the outfield and kind of uh, – he. I, know I remember he threw a guy out at third base and just a cannon for an arm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he – like I mean said before, I mean uh, Palm Beach manager Gary Kendall. When I talked to him about mm. bias, he literally that's who he labeled. He said he's like loaded with tools. That's cool. I mean, can do a lot. I mean, and, and uh, yeah, I had the chance to talk with him, and uh, you know, one of the things that he talked about was just kind of adjusting to this next level of pitching. I mean, he he's another very young guy. He's only 18 years old. He uh, went to high school in Boston. He was a Vanderbilt commit and mm. was drafted, and you know, op, you know, took the the route to being a professional baseball player at this point and um yeah i mean uh he you know had a had a pretty strong spring but he's still kind of developing as a hitter um farm director gary larock said that he was gonna uh that the organization just wants him to get more at bats and yeah. i mean to get more looks and obviously to to work on those things to to be able to to hit well at the next level and then after Baez at number nine. Number eight is Zach Thompson, lefty at Memphis, a first-round pick out of Kentucky. Um, had a difficult year last year. Had a strong Arizona Fall League. Um, was not all that prominent in Major League Spring training. Probably would have gotten more of a look in a longer spring. Um, you know, the, the big thing with him is command mostly and kind of efficiency. Uh, number seven, Juan Yepes. We already talked about him. The expectation is for him to contribute at some point in time. Obviously, the signing that we talked about um, right off the top of this podcast of the former Angel really impacted Yepes's role with the major league team. I mean, that was Pujols's straight up. When Pujols signed, that was Yepes's job. Yepes had a long look in spring. Um, they just think that he needs more time in the minors to do it. Again, now he doesn't have to do it all season, but eventually, if he continues to do that, they'll be like he's done at AAA and time to find a place for him in the majors. So he's number seven, number six, Michael McGreevy. And you mentioned watching him pitch against Solaire earlier in the podcast. Are you struck by how um, easy the velocity looks from him? Oh, definitely. Um, just because, I mean, sometimes you see guys who, who throw I mean, pretty hard. But they kind of, I guess, are labeled as kind of like max effort guys where, mm -hmm. you know, they're kind of having that, like, leg-up type finish, and you can see them, you know, rearing back to to do that. And, I mean, he, I mean, as, as a starter, I mean, he's, I know he's touching the upper 80s, I mean, upper 90s, um, and, you know, has, has, I mean, has that velocity now and something that he's developed. He's number six. Number five, Ivan Herrera catcher heir apparent is going to be part of the catching equation next year with kisner and him splitting the job likely you know kisner has a chance to really kind of earn the lion's share of it here this season and he's got the job now so good way to get a job is to keep a job that kind of thing mm -hmm. uh you know herrera um strong has made improvements as a catcher good offensive upside those two things have to come together you know um pitchers have comfort with him he could improve in his game calling and some of his management there that comes with experience and instincts which brings us to number four number four debuts today everybody can probably guess the number the top three it's just what order you put them in the top three in the cardinals organization 
universally are going to be Walker, Gorman, and Libertor. And the only question is, what order do you put them in? So I won't give away what order we put them in for the PD-12 there at STL Pinch Hits. But number four is Mason Wynn. And I went with him as a top four prospect because it sure seems like when you think about age and ability, he has two avenues to impact the majors. He either sticks at shortstop or he moves as fast as his fastball can carry him as a pitcher. And to me, that made him more, not just more projectable, but more likely to make a contribution in the majors because unlike some of these other guys where you got to hit to get there or you got to pitch to get there, he could do either. And that gives him, you know, these two routes to the majors that is rare. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's kind of like that Brendan Donovan thing where you can fill in in different spots on the oh, good on, yeah. on defense, but I mean, when can, you know, he can play short and he can also, you know, uh, as a fastball that, not a lot of guys can. Not a lot of guys might possess. Right. I mean, even in the majors. I mean, when you have two avenues like that, I mean, it obviously gives you an opportunity to show, like, hey, you know, maybe if things aren't working in one spot, you can make that transition. The last guy who was his size, who had been a shortstop and signed as a shortstop and threw hard like him, that I can recall was Carlos Martinez, and. You know, Martinez then came to the Cardinals as a starter and moved up very quickly as a starter um, and was part of the kind of velocity vanguard that the Cardinals had. The first guys like Trevor Rosenthal and, and um, you know, and Carlos and some of these Kevin Segrist, these guys who threw hard, who were on their way. Um, Mason is going to get a longer look at shortstop. The Cardinals didn't look at Carlos at shortstop, much as he would have loved to show them and often did during pop-up priorities and fielding and all that stuff. Um, but I just find that interesting that like they're, they're, you know, as far as their size, their arm strength, um, their background as athletic shortstops. I mean, I think it's not something that stands out when you watch Mason Wynn play just the athleticism that he has. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I think athleticism is one thing you really can't teach. Um, it's kind of like, I mean, yeah, I mean, hey, you know, you can, you know, you can get stronger. Maybe you can throw, uh, add some velocity on your fastball. But it's like just kind of having that natural athleticism is something that um, he definitely possesses. I mean, he, like I said, I mean, I, I saw him kind of use his speed on, on the uh, the backfields there. I remember mm-hmm. he tripled in one of the games and stand up triple. I mean, I, I thought he was going to round third and go home, go, <laughs> go for home. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, he has tons of athleticism. Um, I guess one of those things where it's like tons of upside, but like with two different avenues where, you know, like you said, Carlos Martinez had that opportunity, but I mean, you know, he stuck to pitching and Mason Wynn has, has that, uh, those possibilities. I mean, and I don't know know about him being a two way player. Like that's something that, uh, you know, he used goes, man, what did he say? Big ups to show a, isn't that what he said? It, It was a good line that he had. Um, I don't know about him being a two way player, but I just think that you cannot dismiss a kid who has, or a prospect who has two options mm-hmm. that could yet unfold for him. Um, if one doesn't work out, and they'll give this the the shortstop one a long time to see if it works out. But if it does not, to fall back on the fact that you threw more balls across the diamond at 95 or harder than any other player in pro baseball, including the majors, that's that's a pretty good skill to fall back on. 
So as part of your job with the STL Pinch Hits and the Post-Dispatch covering the minor leagues, you're going to travel out to it. It's going to be it's very exciting. You're going to go out to the affiliates. Um, you're going to be able to be at games. You're going to bring back reports on all these prospects. we got a lot of things. You're going to launch a podcast, which we talked about earlier. Um, so it's going to be pretty – you're going to be out at the um, at big league games helping us out with the coverage there and in, introducing some of the young players that are in the majors that uh, have that prospect tag, um, one of whom is Andre Pallante, a right-hander who actually has a connection to McGreevy. They're very similar in, in velocity um, and, and somewhat in style, and that is not a coincidence. Um, they were They were teammates together. Um, you know, Palante tells the story about how McGreevy was a shortstop. Here we are again. Um, and they needed a spot to have him pitch as a pitcher. And then, you know, he, he did okay by himself. He said, I think I can pitch. And he goes off to earn a college scholarship and a first round pick. Palante followed, um, you know, or he, he followed in Palante's footstep. Palante was ahead of him. Um, you know, so there's that connection there. And they're very, there are times where I have to catch myself because they're kind of similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so you get a chance to go out and tell the stories of the guys who are already here from the minors, prospects who are already here, and then also the next generation of prospects coming. I'm, I'm excited. This is this is thrilling, right? This is this is a cool thing to be a part of. Oh, most definitely. I mean, I'm excited to uh, just kind of dig deeper into you know what the Cardinals' uh, developmental system looks like. Um, that's something that I mean. That's obviously. I mean, it, it's a franchise that's always kind of drafted and developed or signed and developed um and i mean to be able to kind of a oh, almost in a sense preview of like who the future cardinals are going to be um and just kind of tell their stories and kind of uh, keep tabs on a lot of guys whether they're guys who are on the pd12 or guys who might not be on the pd12 um just to be able to kind of provide that type of content obviously is something that i'm very excited to do for um, our audience the parallel is awesome too. You're starting this just as you said. You're writing about the future, as so much of this season out at the ballpark will be revisiting the past with a lot of the nostalgia there with Molina and Pujols' last year. Um, Adam Wainwright curiously being retired by the team, though he's not retiring or hasn't said anything about it. But there will be like an air of nostalgia around the ballpark. Uh, to which Ali Marmol has said, "This is not a nostalgia tour. They do want to win." Um, and at the same time, we have added you to the post-dispatch coverage to write about the future. This is awesome. You can find all of Daniel Guerrero's work at STL Pinch Hits and in the pages of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Again, that's STL Pinch Hits. You can check it out. It's on the web. There's an app. Um, it's got a really wicked cool logo. We need to get some merch for it. Though we don't have any like BPIB merch. We need some... We need... I would wear a BPIB shirt. Yeah. Or at least put a sticker on my Hydro Flask. I'm oh gonna, yeah, cool. yeah, right there by the Loki alligator, right? Could I get like Primo BPIB Primo location by the Loki alligator? Would that be good? No, that would actually it'll be wedged between that one and the Miles Morales Spider Man. Oh, perfect! That's that's my jam. That's like my sweet spot right there, right between the Spider Man and the Loki alligator. That's that's good. So okay, so we need BPIB merch and we need STL pinch hits logo. Seriously, just check out the logo. It's a pretty slick yeah. logo. It's pretty cool. Um, I guess to give a little sneak peek, I did see some merch for Pinch Hits. You did? I did. So I, I don't know when it'll be dropping, but... This is a scoop. I didn't know that. I I only heard rumors of it. Yeah, I I was witnessed. I, uh, you actually saw... I actually saw it and was told it's coming soon. Wow. 
All right, this this breaking news at the end of BPIB. All the listeners who got this far now know that STL Pinch Hits in its first week has more merch than BPIB in its 10th year. Golly, I don't know how to take this. Congrats. That's cool. I hope I get a dad hat, like a STL Pinch Hits dad hat. You might be. You might be. Oh, fantastic. Stitch my name on the side. We should or, all put our nicknames on the side. No, no, we don't need to do that. We put, like, we really play to the audience and put like our Twitter addresses. We should on. get commish. Should get commish. Hat with. I, I will tell you logo. one quick story that you'll appreciate, um, and then <laughs> I haven't ever told this. So, so the good story, okay? But I know you well enough that you'll appreciate it. So the Braves used to have spring training at Disney World uh, in outside of Orlando. And so I go there every year, and I enjoyed going there. Uh, I'd go to Disney Springs and do some Christmas shopping. Yes, I would Christmas shop in March and stash it for later because um, I had a son who was into sci-fi and all that stuff. Um, but one day I went and got uh, mouse ears mm-hmm. and had them – you know how they put the name on the back, yeah, right? Yeah. So I went and got mouse ears and uh, and had them put commish on the back and took a mouse ears that had commish on the back. You know, do you had Daniel mouse ears, of course, right? I actually did. I mean, grow, I, mean I, I love Disneyland and growing up down the street from the, uh, from the theme park and uh, I mean, being, being able to be fortunate enough to uh, go, I mean, not, not just as a kid, but I mean, even as, yeah. you know, college and high school aged uh, Disney adult, I guess. Um, I, I did not have mouse ears though. With oh. my name on the back. Well, we'll have to remedy that sometime in Florida. I'll, I'll bring it back. <laughs> STL Pinch Hits. I'll have it stitched on the back. <laughs> you can stay true to the brand. So, again, you can find all of Daniel's work there at STL Pinch Hits and at stltoday.com and in the pages of the Post-Dispatch. That's where you can find all the constant Cardinals coverage. The best podcast in baseball brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. Now in its 10th year. 10 years of this podcast. Can you imagine that? I don't know. Bonkers. 10 years of this. Um, you can find it on iTunes or anywhere you get your, well, now you can really find it anywhere you get your podcast. We've, we've worked on the audio. We, we've grown a lot in 10 years um, and we made it available, but it's also available at stltoday.com has its own page and everything like that, but no merch, no merch for BPIB. Daniel, thank you very much for uh, for joining me, for talking through, for dropping some knowledge, and for bringing the heat with the the, the little merch scoop at the end. Well done. No, well, thanks, uh, Derek, for inviting me. It's been a pleasure to be on this podcast. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll definitely work on the merch. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, uh, excited to be a part of this uh, baseball coverage team, and excited, I'm excited to be able to uh, provide some some quality content for for our viewers or. Our, audience your viewers you're doing video your viewers oh, my we just have a, they keep me off of the video <laughs> so i just have listeners and readers so I'm, I'm excited for this too daniel welcome to the post dispatch welcome to stltoday.com welcome most of all to st louis and you know welcome to covering baseball in one of the places where covering baseball doesn't get any better so i'm i'm happy to have you thanks for Joining me here on BPIB, this has been the best podcast in baseball. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Talk to you soon.